0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. We have a very fun uh, interview for you today with Michael Kojelik. Uh, He goes by Kaz. Uh, So I went to uh, college with him. Well, I guess so did Tim. We all went to the same school. Uh, Kaz and I were in the same class, and he is now a professional soccer player over in Sweden So we got uh, the fortunate chance to interview him, kind of get a look behind the scenes of a professional athlete in his role. And so he takes us through his whole soccer journey from starting when he was young and how he got to where he is now, uh, where he went through, what he went through to get there and the work that really goes into it, especially the things that people don't see uh, that he goes through daily in order to keep his spot Uh, on that team so we really dive into that and then it was fun to learn his uh, goals for the future so he has some interesting things that he would really enjoy doing after he's done playing soccer and right now he's just working as hard as he can to go as far as he can and so he's uh, just putting in the work every day day in day out and gonna see where it takes him and he his goal is to play as long as he possibly can. Uh, this is a guy who just loves the game and loves the hustle, and has fallen in love with it. So, uh, Tim, I know you didn't really know Cause um, like I did, but what did you think of the uh, the interview here?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed talking uh, to Cause. He had a very good mindset and approach to the game. Um, I, I enjoyed this was our first uh, like professional athlete interview, so it was cool listening to his approach towards the game, his preparation, uh, the way he perfects his craft every day, because he has a good head on his shoulders and he, he just talks about how he's adapted his style over time because I know he talks a little bit about how he switched positions, um, how he had to kind of adapt his his style and the way he contributed to the team. So you can tell he's a team player. And he's someone who's always going to put the team above himself. So he talks about the importance of that. Um, he talked about his experience with the Chicago Fire Academy, like in high school and, and growing up before that and how that kind of influenced him to into the professional that he is today because he talks about how what he learned there really set him up for what he needed to like know going into it and talks about relocating across the pond after school first he played in uh finland now he's in sweden so gets into what life's like over there and you really get a unique uh perspective of someone who's living across the world in this interview and and the way athletes should approach not only sports, but just life in general. So I know you guys are going to get a lot of value from this episode. Without further ado, episode 81, Michael Kojelik.
2: So, uh, yeah, it's 1030 where you are. Uh, Where are you uh,
3: right now, man? I'm in Kristinastad, Kristinastad, Finland. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the Swedish version. So it's weird. This whole town speaks Swedish and Finnish. So like the west side of Finland usually speaks both, whereas like the central and the west or the east only Finnish. So it's not too bad here. I can deal with Swedish. Finnish though, you look at it, the words are like 28 letters long. Doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Unnecessary. Or the word And. and. Yeah, exactly. Unnecessarily long. So have you gotten pretty fluent in the language now? Uh, Swedish, I can hold my own for the most yeah. part. I mean, Finnish, I just kind of did my rounds with like saying like, hi, bye, thanks. Keeping it, keeping it casual. Enough right. to be like respectful, you know, when you're at like a restaurant. Yeah. They restaurant talk. Yeah. Exactly, dude. They, they appreciate you trying. They all speak yeah. English too. So it's a
1: front. They can speak it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a front. <laughs> and they I don't
3: need like- me speaking it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I feel like you can you can give off good body language, too, if you can't. Right,
3: right. As long as you got the smile and the vibe, yeah. throw
1: some thumbs up in there, dude, you're
3: good. Some yeah. thumbs up. So American.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, dude. It's like, who are you, Fonzie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: so yeah, uh, would love to just kind of get a quick background, uh, who you are, what you're doing, and uh, kind of your journey uh, through your
3: soccer career, man, because you've been playing yeah. a lot yeah, dude, happy to do it. Um, so, name's Michael Um uh, from Chicago. Grew up in Chicago. Uh, played for, you know, a handful of local smaller teams when soccer wasn't huge in the States yet, really. Still growing. Um, so, a lot of, like, Polish clubs and then Hispanic clubs up on my house. So, did the grind. Loved it. Uh, tried playing a few other sports. Sucked at it. Couldn't play baseball for my life. <laughs> Was never going to be tall enough for basketball. So, Stuck with footy, Uh, ended up playing for the Chicago Fire Academy, which was dope, helped me, pretty much made me the player I was, was lucky enough to do that for a handful of years. And then, yeah, unlike a lot of other sports where like college is the go-to route, it's kind of weird with soccer because you can either, you can go the college route, it's popular, but it's a weird pan out ratio it's like there's a draft not a whole lot of people get drafted for the number of players uh so a lot of kids will either sign like with an mls club out of high school or someone in college and then if you don't do that you go overseas so fire signed a kid before me uh in my position they kind of the writing was on the wall so i knew that overseas was going to be the route went to sweden for two seasons um so I lived out in the boondocks in Sweden like the grind of Sweden um yeah unlike a lot of professional sports I don't think people know with like footy when you're doing it and you're doing it overseas especially there is a, a grind element to it it's not the uh fancy locker rooms uh that's like the one percent of the one percent so yeah I mean we had pretty basic stuff I mean a gym you'd find in most basements at so like a people's house and stuff like that and Played with some dope players, um, guys you can learn from that were at those 1% of the 1% clubs and were older. And as a young player, you just kind of put your head down and you're working, learning from those guys. Um, Did that for two seasons, then went to Australia for a year uh, because you're battling the visa, the work visa elements in Europe without an EU passport. Um, So then I played in Australia down in Melbourne for Melbourne melbourne they call it that that's a that's a thing too i'm not trying to be pretentious i just get yelled at all the time when i say <laughs> the wrong thing so melbourne you're, you're for just... anyone from america melbourne but then when if you say melbourne down there they're like it's melbourne bruh i'm like all right dude, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry sorry so then yeah played down in melbourne for a year uh loved it australia was super sick and then had a buddy who um went through a rough injury and then ended his career kind of short he's a few years older than me and he got a head coaching gig out in Finland for a team he used to play for so he kind of hit me up brought me out here and we're at where we're at today dude so we're doing year four that's wild that's super crazy crazy. Crazy journey.
2: how soon after college did you like how did that process look of you finding a team out there then you finally going there so you said there was like a draft Kind of, sort of, but the guy was ahead of you, so what's that look like? Yeah,
3: so, like, the draft out of college um, is a pretty offensive, heavy draft. Uh, It looks for a lot of offensive players. It makes sense, uh, especially young talents and stuff. You know, clubs are looking for firepower a lot of the times, especially in, like, the MLS. Um, I was playing left back at the time, like, defensive area. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, I don't have 20 goals on the season and stuff like that. So the draft for me, I was kind of like, I kind of knew what was going to go on. I was like, uh, you know, so I stayed in Chicago. I trained after college. I graduated in December uh, and then trained in Chicago for three months um, at like a facility outside of Chicago where a lot of pros train in their off season and stuff like that. Um, so I did that for three months. And then they have an agent that works through that facility who will come and find players and help place players. He's from Finland, actually, and places a lot of guys in Scandinavia. Uh, and that's where I got my shot. So he had a team in Sweden that was interested. Uh, it was kind of like a pack your bags and you're, you're off. You don't really know what the, what the if they'll sign you or not, but you got a trial. Here's your shot. So we'll make it happen. So, yeah, I did that pretty much on like – a. I had like three weeks kind of once I got the word and I knew I had to be out there made the trip and then lived in the woods ever since for
1: those two years. (laughs) What was the, uh, what was the biggest, obviously it's a huge change going to a different country, but what was the biggest surprise you? Like what was the biggest adjustment you had to make? Man in Sweden, dude, I think it was the currency,
3: honestly, they use like (laughs) the Swedish kroner, and it's like eight crowns to a dollar. So you're going in a store sometimes and you're seeing like a candy bar for like, I don't know, 24 like crowns or something, like a big candy bar. And you're like, what? 24, crowns? like I'm going to go broke here for sure. But then like, you're doing like quick mental math all the time and you're trying to like check out, and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. It's only like four bucks. You're like, Okay, I can do that. So yeah, no, currency is definitely a big one. Um, I think I got lucky with Sweden because they, they follow so much of our culture in general. So it was like, it was nice that at least a lot of people spoke English and the the big things were kind of easier. But yeah, I think definitely reading signs and like getting overwhelmed in stores was the big thing at first, trying to figure that all out. But yeah. I buy way too many groceries already, so it's like, I'd be
1: <laughs> I just spent over a thousand <laughs> sweet <laughs> 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 drop bags.
3: <laughs> Doesn't feel great. Doesn't feel great when you see the big number on the screen. You're like, oh no. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: So how long is um, I don't know if you sign like individual contracts each season or is it like season by season? You find out. How, how does that? Yeah.
3: Work? So I mean, the dream of any player is you're signing the multi years. It's a bit of stability usually good things with that uh the reality is when you're a rookie it's no different than a rookie in a lot of a lot of sports you're kind of year to year uh so sweden for me was year to year um and then australia was like a year with an option so it had to be mutual between club and player which was nice so it kind of had that bit of security in your mind um and then out here same deal kind of the same thing for here in Finland so it's nice it's been a year to year but with an option the last two years so a bit more stability
1: (laughs) Hmm.
3: so do you think you'll try to stay in Sweden then uh yeah I mean we'll see what happens there's I mean there's always so many moving pieces I think in sports with between coaches players uh what's the ambition of the club you know stuff like that financials is always huge I mean you don't hear a lot about it but I think uh the financial status of clubs in europe especially is that you can have a club one year that's splashing loads of cash and then the next year they're like oh we're gonna cut back on that that's not (laughs) the goal anymore and you're just like okay well that's not my goal either to make less money so yeah yeah, there's a lot going on I, i mean here they've treated us super well it's a super cool place um if the coach stays and things are looking good and the club's ambitions are good i mean wouldn't mind staying for sure
1: yeah do you have an agent right now or do you have someone or someone who can help if you were to look at other options, how would that look like?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. That too, is like the agent, the agent game is kind of shady because Mm. I feel like you hear it kind of sometimes even back in the States where it's like an agent stole a million dollars from a player and stuff like that. So it's like, I think people are have a different view on how they use agents now, especially as an athlete, depending on your level. I mean, if you're a huge, huge name, you're raking in money from all sorts of like avenues, you definitely need one. And it's better to have that security for your contract, the legality of it. Um, For me, I'm lucky enough where I have a buddy in the States who owns an agency. Mm. Uh, He has some real big fish that are under him. So for me, I'd be a smaller fish. And for him, he's like, it's not really worth my time to like take money off you, you're still making a career. So he's just nice enough where he kind of works for me. Like if I need his help, he helps put my stuff out there. Uh, It's more of like I can call if I have something that comes up too. uh, He'll help me out. So that's a nice thing.
1: That's good to have. How'd you meet him? (laughs) Uh,
3: I met him through one of my old coaches at the fire. Uh, He works with the fire a lot. He had placed a few players there. And my coach was like, Here's a kid that, you know, he just kind of asked him if you could take care of him. Went out to a few dinners. He was a nice dude, younger guy. So he was like, Yeah, I'll take care of you. No worries. He was like, Always trying to help guys too because they don't know how you're gonna pan out. You know, it's worth their time to help you a little bit, and if you make it big, they're like, "All oh, right, well now you're gonna sign with me."
1: <laughs> it's like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, yeah. So what was the, what was that experience like with the fire? I know you said you tra- you trained there. You were involved with the organization, or like how yeah. did you, how did you get into that at first? Like, what's that like? Yeah, so it it kind
3: of all exploded in the U.S. in the span of probably, like, my sophomore year of high school, I think, is when, like, the full academy system started in the U.S. So pretty much every MLS team started an academy, like their academy. Then you had a few other that were bigger organizations, like clubs, that were not MLS-affiliated but did their own academy system. So, like, areas that maybe didn't have an MLS team but a lot of talent. Um, So they tried to pretty much filter all the best players to the top is what it boiled down to. Um, So that happened my sophomore year of high school. I was playing for a club in Chicago. Uh, We played against a fire team that wasn't an academy team. And one of the coaches was like, we're going to start up the academy and everything this next season. And we want you to come to trials and stuff. So they treat it pretty much like a, a pro organization from year 14, 15 at the time, whatever it is. I mean, they throw you in and it's kind of just trial by fire. You're out there with the best kids in the region. Everyone's, you know, competing for that spot. I think it was, if I can remember right, I want to say it was three separate trials. So there's like three like phases to it. The mass one where maybe a hundred kids got called in, got weeded down to like 50 and then got weeded down. The final one to I think it was 20, like seven or 28 guys. Um, So after going through all that, uh, made the final cut, and then you sign like a contract with them with the fire, uh, which pretty much gives them the rights to like your homegrown rights. So if they ever do decide down the road to bring you into the first team, like with the the top pros, um, it's all there. It's all up from there. Um, but no, it was, it was a cool experience. I'd say it was the thing that the turning point of my career that made me like a professional for sure. Because as a kid, you don't really have a full grasp, you know, especially around that 14 15 age there's just a lot of like there's a lot of that bde dude too much big dick energy going on it's just like (laughs) everybody thinks they're the man you know what i'm saying so it's like it definitely levels you out and it brings you back down to earth because if you're doing well you're training with you know the best like the actual pros they're bringing you into first team trainings and those guys take no nonsense and they'll they'll put you they'll put you ground floor real quick so it kind of it kind of straightens you out but no that was that was the coolest part was going through that whole trial phase and then You know, had we had a really good team. Um, it was you we were fortunate, uh, won a national championship like the first year of academy. Uh I mean, so you're you're treated like a pro and it's it makes you grow up real fast. You you realize the work it takes and you know, the opportunity you have. So I'd say it was one of the coolest things I've probably done in my life. It
0: was pretty cool.
2: Yeah. So you just alluded to you know the hard work behind it. I'm interested in more of that. And one thing I always love asking people is, what's the hard stuff that you deal with that people don't see? Where it's like, they're like, oh, he's playing in Europe, like that's super awesome. Like, you know, he's doing it. it's like, but there's still a lot that's going into that. And it's not all overnight glitz and glamour. Like,
3: yeah, yeah, no, fire
2: academy. So I'm always interested. Like, what are the tougher things? Like. And also you post your training videos and things like in the gym on the BOSU ball and yeah,
3: i like, yeah, yeah. good ass yeah. balance. Give me some. But, right. No, I feel you.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I'd be interested to hear some of that side of
3: it of like, man, it's yeah, awesome. For sure. Oh, it is. I mean, it is like the epitome of the grind. Um, you know, the one thing you are in college is you're really spoiled is what it is. It comes down to, it's a player's market. Um, coaches are fighting for you. They're trying to recruit you you get the best of the best the treatment the facilities you know and then you get to the quote-unquote professional level overseas and all of a sudden you're like well where's you know my like protein shakes and everything like afterwards and stuff like that you know what i'm saying like the the little things like that but it's like you're spoiled in college you really are and uh yeah the the work that you have to put in overseas is a different grind because there's that many people trying to do it so you, you think you've made it. And, you know, if you're complacent in the least bit, you know, your ride's going to be short. It's, you have to come in. I think the best thing I ever learned is I played with a guy um, who played champions league in Serbia. I mean, he was, he was a baller, like the the epitome he was the, the big man and uh, he was coming to the end of his career was just kind of riding it out, helping coach some younger guys and to be able to play the same position as him. Um, I learned the work you have to put in is it's relentless. It's you have to go to training no different than treating it like it's your job. It is your job. And you have to realize that, you know, maybe you're 20 years old or something like that. You're fighting to pretty much take a job from somebody that might be your age that might be, you know, 35 with 10 years experience, 12 years experience. And you have to be very comfortable, very quick, knowing that, you know, nothing's personal on the field. It has to, you have to draw that line, but on the field, I mean, you're, you're fighting for a job. It's as simple as that. If you can't out-compete the guy next to you, it doesn't matter. And you have to look past age, your resume, everything like that. You cross the line and it goes to, you know, you got to have that switch that you can flip on. And it's kind of like that, no different than any job, you know, except that it's a lot more intense in the version of, you know, sports is kind of that weird realm where, it's the one workplace that you're cussing out everybody. <laughs> Everything's high intensity. It's like for that two, two and a half hours, it is, you should leave mentally exhausted, like every day. So I think your first year, a lot of kids when they go overseas, it's like your make or break year because the mental side of it is going to be 3000 times more than any physical challenge you go through. Everybody's fit, everybody's in shape and everything like that. And that doesn't become the worry. It's can you rock up every single day to training knowing that I have to outperform the three guys in my position? And if I don't, you know, this might be it for me. It's my last ride. So you, you come in with that kind of, you, you build up this relentless kind of fortitude mentally where you're like, this is it. Like today is go time. Like I'm coming out here to eat, and you know, not everybody's going to be eaten at the end of the year. There's only so much food. So, so yeah. that's kind of the mentality. I mean, that you have to bring. So that's, it's crazy. And so did you
2: kind of know that before initially going over, is that something that was a, still a big mental shift, uh, or did some of the stuff from the fire Academy fuel into that?
3: I think I definitely had an advantage getting a taste of it at a young age. Um, it helped. It definitely had its plus sides of being able to get that taste and being hungry for it. Uh, I don't think, I think most kids are going to lie to you if they say that they were fully prepared for it. Um, because I came into my first few sessions and I was getting blown up by players and tackles, older guys and stuff like that. And, your immediate reaction is like you want to take it personal. You're like, "What the fuck's this?" You know, like I'm out here trying to do my thing. Like, why? Why is everyone going so hard, especially like against you? And then you realize you're like, they might be, you know, 33, but they still come with that fight, and they've been doing it for 10 years. And they realize like if this young kid comes in and outperforms me, that's it for me. Mm-hmm. um So I definitely there was definitely a shift. I had to have my my first year overseas where there was some days I woke up that first month or two and I was like, "Damn!" I was like you woke up exhausted. You haven't even had training yet. And you're just like thinking about it. You're like, wow, like I got to get up for training. Like, here we go again. It's, it's relentless. And it's like, for sure, I wasn't a hundred percent prepared, but I think it's a very sink or swim moment you have as a player where it's like, I don't have a lot of time to figure this out. So it's either I'm going to weed myself out or I'm going to
1: try and bring it like every day. So, yeah. Man, that's intense. Yeah, it is. And have you, uh, have you had the same position your entire soccer career? Have you always been defense? Uh, so that's the crazy thing, too. <laughs> I've had a
3: really strange positional career. I was a forward almost my whole life up mm. until right before college. Okay. Um, so I played forward at the Fire Academy, and we actually had a kid, Victor Pineda, absolute baller. Um, and he was the first ever kid to sign like a homegrown contract at the Fire. He went to the full pro team. Now, when he needed reps and minutes and stuff like that, and he wasn't getting it with the first team, they drop him back down into the academy system, which was crazy because he come back down and you're like, "Oh, this is the dude I'm competing with now." So it's like, I was a forward, you know, there's five other forwards you're all competing, and then uh, our left back actually broke his foot, and uh, I was the only other left-footed player at the time, and I was getting taller. I was like going through a growth spurt, and my coach was like you ever played in the back line? I was like, no. He goes, all right, you're going to play left back today. I was like, okay. And then it was weird that happened my junior year of high school. I played left back, you know, there were some growing pains for sure and just learning the position. Um, And then did well enough in it where once I went to Butler, I got like recruited as a left back. So it was kind of crazy. I was like, went forward my whole life and then was going into the college game at left back. Um, so, yeah, it changed around a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's such an interesting transition because in, like, a lot of sports like basketball, you're playing both sides of it all the time. But, like, mm-hmm. in soccer, I'm sure it's weird going from chasing the ball down, trying to score on the other one to kind of almost letting it come to you. And oh, what was yeah. that? Like, what was – how did you kind of adapt to that? What was that like? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, definitely from going as a forward, I mean, the stereotypes are like your forwards are obviously trying to bang in goals. They're usually the lazier defenders and stuff like that. So the team just kind of like, all right, we're going to do that. pick up the slack for them. And you get away with it when you're scoring goals. But once you're in the back line, when I was in the back line, I was like, wow, like my whole attitude had to change. I was like, I'm not going to be scoring goals often, if ever. And now I'm doing like the dirty work. Like the back line is kind of like, I don't know, like your O-line or your defensive line in football, you know? Not a whole lot of glory in it, honestly, but pivotal point. So it's like, yeah, there's a huge mental switch for me at first because there's plays I'd be turned off, the ball's on the other side of the field. I'm like kind of acting like a striker. I was like, oh, I'm not involved or anything like that. And then a ball gets switched over like on a dime to your guy, and you're like, oh, I'm on an island defending. It's like this is either I get like made – I'm going to look like a fool or, <laughs> or I'm going to make a stop right now. So it's was like, yeah, the mental switch probably took – another good few weeks I mean the good thing was you're getting drilled by your coach who's just screaming at you if no, not no. so it was, it was a quick one a quick one for sure after you get blown by like once or twice you're like okay this is a different whole rotation for me mm. um, but yeah there was definitely a switch in my attitude too I became a lot less like a more selfless person playing in the yeah. back line I was like you know maybe the stats aren't there but kind of you know you make that big tackle or you keep a shutout and you're like, wow, that was a pretty satisfying feeling on the other end of it for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. And that shows like character on your part for putting the team above yourself and sacrificing because the coach, I mean, the team needed it. and You stepped right in. I feel like not, not everyone would be that welcome to a transition like that. So
3: yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, that was the biggest thing I learned. I think playing in the back line was the real full perspective of being like a team player through and through that was that was the i i loved it that it happened it was great for my career and then i think definitely made me a more well-rounded player mentally for sure
1: mm-hmm.
3: so yeah. you're still left back now currently uh actually now i've, I've uh, got to graduate into the midfield a little bit so i'm pushing mm-hmm. up a little higher not a forward yet but those days i think are behind me um but yeah so now kind of doing the uh the box the box work so now getting to set up a little bit more plays, setting guys up for goals, you know, getting That's the those, those volleys. Yeah, a, a nicely played. some deep volleys, some deep volleys. Um, so, yeah, no, I've kind of found my niche, and it's been working the last, uh, you know, two seasons or so. So I think I kind of found myself a new home, at least for now. I mean, you know, the good thing is, you know, if another team says, you know, have you played in another position, I have a few that I'm comfortable in at a decent level. So it's it's good. Mm-hmm. Good. That's cool. And you will have played every
2: section of the field, too.
3: Yeah, right. I mean, give me some gloves at this point, dude. I just need to be a <laughs> <right now. laughs> careful what you say. They might hear this, but yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I cool? I take, I take, I take Kyle, let's try it, <laughs> Dude, I always thought goalies of all kinds have like the biggest cojones, man. Goalies and catchers, dude. I'm just like,
3: I'm going to tell you something right now. It's a, it's a thing in sports, like in the footy world, like goalies aren't normal people. They're not, (laughs) they're not normal people. They're, there's something that doesn't tick quite like the other 10 guys on the field. If you're a goalie and you start to realize that off the field, they're the greatest dudes ever. They'll do anything for you, but they're nuts. You never talk back to the goalie. Let the goalie say whatever he wants to you. You just cop it. You just cop it.
1: (laughs) They're on on their own Island. Literally.
3: I, I didn't know that was like how it went. Like, oh
2: yeah they kind of oh, yeah. kind of the haunch
3: oh yeah yeah whatever the keeper says you just put your head down and you agree whether you agree or not you pretend you agree
2: smile, <laughs> smile,
3: and, voice. smile. smile and wave boys <laughs> <away.
2: laughs> uh so what's uh what's take us to like the ultimate goal for for cause soccer wise and how are you kind of reverse engineering that to like okay this is my step here like this is about to do next And this is what I'm doing for stage, you know, two, three, four.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for sure the, the one thing you see that's kind of discouraging is that you see a lot of people that make it young, the phenoms. And it's quick to say for a lot of parts of the world that they're like, if it doesn't happen by then, it's never going to happen. If you're not this guy at 18, never going to happen. It's, it's too late, which I think is the misconception. A lot of times, um, I mean, you can still ride out a phenomenal career, you know, into your mid thirties, late thirties and never be the dude who made it at 18. Um, So that's the biggest thing I think to realize for a lot of young players is that it's awesome if it does happen and you've got to put in the work to try and make it happen, but it's not over if it doesn't happen by 18. You know Um, the ultimate goal for me is that, you know, you get older, you know, money does become a factor. You need to make sure that you're, you're making money, you're surviving, you're doing that. Um, but if you love the sport, I think it also goes beyond your playing career. Uh, the ultimate goal for me is that, like I said, I want to ride out a career as, as long as I can, playing at the highest level I can. Um, so whether that ever means, you know, you make it to Spain in the top tier, you never know. Um, obviously, playing top tier footy is the dream in any country. Uh, so constantly working every day to put myself in the best position to reach that. But at the same time, also preparing myself with, you know, the learning from coaches and getting, you know, to coach youth wherever I'm at and helping out with youth so that I'm prepared to stick around in the game past my playing career. You know, coaching, I think would be a really rewarding side of the game post career, um, whether it's, you know, individual coaching, coaching an actual team, um, setting up a facility, maybe, you know, I think that's, I've always leaned towards that is that I love getting a group of dudes together in the off season, all like my buddies that are playing pro everywhere and just getting after it, putting the grind together. And once you go through the grind, it's kind of easier to instill that in other people. Like, I've been here, I've gone the gritty route. This is what you have to do. So I've always had like a weird in the back of my head almost having like that gym, that Floyd Mayweather training camp, you know, where you throw it together and get those kids that are on the grind, hungry kids and put them together and, you know, have a facility for them uh, to train and make them go to the next level. I think that'd be the goal after, after soccer for sure.
2: That's cool, man. Got that pay it forward aspect to it. Like, all right, now it's,
3: yeah, I'll give yeah. it now too. Yeah, exactly. It's still, it's still exactly. satisfying. So it's like best of both. So yeah, cool. yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Are there any uh, players who you look up to or any professional players or guys that you model your game off of or who have influenced the way you play? played? Yes, the Serbian sure. dude, I didn't talk um, about that Serbian dude.
3: You know, I'd say the biggest the biggest players that, you know, I've emulated is that, you know, obviously you have those guys that are like, oh, you're Messi's, you're Ronaldo's and stuff like that. Um, easy to say because obviously they're flashy players. They're awesome to watch. Um, for me personally, though, I love like you know, there's like Ingallo Conte on like Chelsea, and he's just a workhorse. And his career has been made off of being an engine. You know, he's maybe not the most technical player. He's not scoring bangers all the time. But you watch the ground he covers in a game. And it's like superhuman. The man is just constantly on the prowl. And it's like, you know, I just want to be leave my mark, at least as the player that you know, maybe goals are great, assists are great, but putting in the work rate for the guys around you. If you can make other guys' jobs easier around you, they're quick to notice. And mm-hmm. I think as a player, a lot of players appreciate playing with you as a player, you know. Even better players that are better than you, technically or anything like that, want you next to them because they know that if it comes down to the dirty work, you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then that can that can help them get in better positions for you know, scoring that final goal and stuff like that, setting up those passes. So, yeah, I'd I'd say there's definitely, like, N'Golo Conte is one of them uh, for sure. Uh, You know, there's a handful, but he'd be a big one, I'd say, 100%. 100%.
2: So this is probably a really loaded question, but to date, do you have, like, a favorite soccer moment Whereas, like, you tell me, like, a a top, top game or top instance, like, this sticks out?
3: yeah yeah for sure yeah that's a tough one there's so many like (laughs) you get those 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 right there moments the nearly moments i probably got a handful but i'd say the top moment i've had at this very moment the iu game would be up there because that was incredible when we played that but just the atmosphere um but sweden my first season um we were in uh yeah we were playing my first year in sweden and had a good team, a real good squad. And our club had been in the same level for a handful of years. They were normally a team that was in the tier above, uh, like traditionally. I went through a few rough years, kind of rebuilding and stuff like that. And my first year in Sweden, we got promoted back up into that division. Uh, And just the, the playoff process through that, um, we were second place in the league. The first place team gets an automatic promotion. And then the second place goes through a playoff promotion. So You have to play first a team in your same league from a different division, twice, home and away. And then if you beat that, then you go from a team that's dropping down from the division above you. And you have to beat them home and away. Or you have to come out goal differential goal Mm -hmm. uh, home and away. And we ended up pulling that off my first year in Sweden. And I think that was just one of the wildest things to experience was going through like a promotion in Europe. And just seeing how much work goes behind the scenes. You're there, your season is an extra month long. It's that grind. But just the celebrating after and like seeing what it does for like a town and like a community and how many people you truly get to see are invested in a club at that moment. It was like I met 300 people I'd never seen before in my life that were like involved in the club at some point, one way or another. And to see how happy they were, I was just like, this is, you realize the reach that you have past like the 11 guys you're playing with all the time you know it's crazy that i got to experience that and i'm super fortunate because you know you never know if you're ever going to experience that so to do that our first year was nuts
2: it's pretty wild it's just like going through it and then seeing the different places
1: like this is this is it this having, is it yeah. and having team success i mean that feels yeah that feels good to contribute to that bigger right part
3: no 100 percent, 100 percent.
2: Uh, so because I'm all about the food Uh, what's like your training like what's your nutrition like you know do you guys is that um, pretty high up on the list how do you guys uh, train and eat things like that
3: yeah um, so our gaffer here the coach takes care of us pretty well Um, he's a he's knowledgeable dude he went to school for like sports science and health and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so that helps big time Um, working out wise I'd say you're six days a week, usually pretty much on doing some form or fashion, you're probably in the gym two to three times a week minimum. Um, And then you're on the field, you know, four to five days a week with a game somewhere in there. Uh, So yeah, so the, the working out, the gym is definitely a, a thing that you see more overseas, in a different way. It's not your typical, I'm getting big, I'm getting like super strong, heavy weights. It's more of like, just to preserve your body, a lot Mm. of mobility work, flexibility is huge, lightweight, higher reps. Um, A lot of functional
2: movements and things.
3: Very, very functional movements. Um, I think that's how the game has changed. I think sports in general have changed in the last, you know, 10 years massively with functional movement and not just being, you know, a powerhouse, just being absolutely deezed out, you know, (laughs) I feel like pro Athletes doing yoga all the time now too. Yeah. I mean, huge. I, I got my yoga mat in right here, but it's like, go. yeah. So like yoga has become like super big, um, more of like your, your functional kettlebell work, um, balance has been huge. Uh, yeah. Trying to keep the yin and yang kind of your body flowing for a whole season. Cause again, it's a lot of people don't realize too. It's when you're performing at a top level in any sport, it's not really good for your body. And I think people think that like, oh, I see like pros, you know, doing this or that. And it's realistically like that might not be what a lot of people should do because when you're playing a sport at the highest level, it's you're breaking down your body on a daily basis. And really the gym is just to help you with longevity of getting through the season. Um, so kind of I had to change a lot of my mindset in the gym where it's like, I can't get in here and just take out aggression on the weights. It's like, okay, maybe I got to chill out. Just listen to some music, you know, get some light work in functional stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd say working out, is definitely more along those lines. And then your food obviously is probably equally if not more important than a lot of your training. I mean, you got to feel yourself. It's what you put in is what you're going to get out. You can get away with, you know, eating like shit and you'll look fine. Sure it's awesome. I can stand in front of a mirror and I'm like, "Oh, not much has changed." But it's like you put me on a field and the comparison of me eating like pizza before a game and then, you know, compared to eating like some lean protein, you know, getting some rice and stuff like that, uh, you know, you gotta put the good stuff in you, or you're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> you're gonna be in trouble in the long haul.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's a longevity game. At the end of the day, like if you if you can't if you can't bring it physically, the older you get, someone who's younger and more fresher is gonna replace you. So I feel like that might be the 100%. most important part. Maybe, without a doubt. I mean, I think
3: it was it was Dirk Nowitzki. I think I want to say he a few years ago before he was out of the game and all that. But back in the day, he was saying that all the rookies came in and they always asked him like. You know, what's the key? Like when he was getting older and he was like, Yoga, stretching, supplements. That's what he like said. It was nothing about like basketball or training. It was always like the longevity game of like how can you preserve yourself? Like everybody at that point, when you get to the NBA, you can ball, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But how long can you do it for? You know, can yeah. you keep it going for a full season and multiple seasons? It's it's crazy.
1: Right. A lot of people look at it in the short term and be like, I'm, I'm invincible right now, but eventually that's going to catch up to you. I think it's cool oh. to watch people like Tom Brady, who is, I mean, it's a, it's a full-time job, the way he takes care of his body and how he's been able to do it. I'm interested to see how long he ends up playing for. So
3: It's incredible, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's something else. It's like I keep looking every year and I'm like, it's got to be over. It's got to be over. There's, yeah. there's without a doubt, this was it, got to be over. He's like, nope, we're coming back. We're coming back two years. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs>
2: Yeah. I just, before coming here, I saw a clip that Barstool uh, put on Instagram. Like, he was talking smack because someone yelled at him. He was walking on the practice field holding his pads and stuff. And you hear in the background, I forget who it was, like, oh, still walking on the field, huh? Still walking. <laughs> you, you, Tom Brady, how about you mind your own shit, huh? Study mind your own shit. And he's just like, right? he's talking it. Like, but the dude's walking it. I'm just saying.
3: No, exactly. Like, I hate been. the Patriots. What are you
2: ever you? I respect, <laughs> like, his talent and how long he's doing it
3: i was did he release the full was it like a full documentary i remember i was watching clips on it when they were showing like the the band movement and stuff he was doing and i was i was baffled when he was like showing off like his muscles and he's like you see that see how doughy they are he goes that's good and everyone's like what are you talking about he's like that means i'm not going to get hurt baby and i was just like this is a total backwards mindset from everything you grow up thinking. He's like, he wants nothing to do with being shredded and yoked. He's like, I got doughy muscles, and I'm good. I'm going to keep slinging touchdowns. Yeah. It's like, oh, all right. Well, I mean, it's like, he's got how many defense. rings,
2: he's got how much money, a beautiful family, smoking one. Oh, wine. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the best quarterback,
1: and it's like, well. And he studies, too. Like he, what do I need to be yoked for? Yeah. He prepares better than that. What's wrong? Enough.
2: Nothing's wrong, so it's not Yeah. Hard.
3: I mean, what you just touched on the preparation, I think it's just, it's, it's huge and you don't see it as like a young athlete because you're always, again, it's just kind of like the piss and vinegar, like let's go out, let's bring the energy. It's this, that, the other. But I mean, any sport across the board, it's, it's that preparation off the field, not only for yourself mentally. I mean, if you can find yourself in a good, a good state or like a flow state, when you can kind of reach that peak of like optimized, like mental capacity, I mean, things start to slow down. It feels like you're playing a game in slow motion, and that's what it looks like he's playing in half the time. The game's buzzing around him, and it looks like he's in slow motion. He's like, "Oh, no worries. I already know what's going on." It's like it's crazy. Yeah. Do you have a particular pre
2: pre-game um, routine that you have, uh, food or meditation or anything like that that you to try to get to that flow state?
3: Uh, loosely, for sure. I I didn't growing up. And a lot of it was just kind of like that high energy, high intensity. Um, and as I got older, I found it so much more beneficial. My buddy, actually, a kid I played with at the fire showed me a book. He read a book on the flow state. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, you know, the flow state, yada, yada. You know, you kind of brush it off. You're like bullshit. <laughs> and then I was reading more about it. And I was I was like, you know what? Why not try it? You're foolish not to try something once, you know? So I was like, I'll give it a go. I'll do some like. Light breathing exercises um, in meditation. So, just some super light breathing, just closing one nostril in, out, in, out, switching nostrils, uh, some deeper breathing, almost like Wim Hof breathing, but not as extreme. Um, and then I just kind of sat there and I was like, What are my goals for the game? Like, what do I want to do? I was like, I was like, The first time I sat down probably two years ago and I was like, Every game you go out to win, no brainer. You don't got to sit there and tell yourself that. But what do i think with my knowledge of preparation for a game who i'm going against you know the team we're playing what's going on where we're playing outside the atmosphere like what am i going to set for myself today what can i bring today how am i feeling today and i did it once and then ever since then it kind of just stuck i mean helped it probably was a good game after the first time i did it or i would have never done it again but (laughs) i was like i was like for sure i was like i think it doesn't have to be crazy either it's not like it's a two-hour thing it's like i sit down for 10 minutes sometimes before a game just at any point before i sit there i'm just like all right what are the goals for like today what's today's game look like what does it look like for me how am i feeling and then yeah you go out and you let it rip from there that's awesome
2: uh any other like morning night rituals things that uh really do it for you that's like these are my musts
3: my my uh my my one thing to get me in like a good headspace, because I think as an athlete, you tend to find yourself in a real hyped mood more times than not, whether you want to or not. I think if you're an athlete and you truly call yourself a competitor, you find yourself in a competitive mindset in times you don't need it. So like the day before a game, I'll do my normal thing. We usually have like a walkthrough or something light. And then when I get home, I just get on YouTube, watch some like, comedy some podcasts king of the sting anything like that something to just get my mind a little bit away from anything that could like remotely be competitive listen to like brandon schaub and three of them just roast each other for like 15 (laughs) 20 minutes you know and then go from there and then it's like you go to bed in a good mood and you're like all right now like we can get back after it but just kind of turning the switch off for a little while because there's days you can't help it but it's like you'll go three days and you're like high intensity and you feel like you're almost like tense, like sitting in your bed, and you're just like, why am I? My, I gotta relax, dude. Like, there's there's, a, there's another side to this. You gotta keep it balanced because if you find yourself too hyped sometimes, it's like negative effects start to creep in with that. It's, you can only be so intense for so long. So, definitely trying to unplug a little bit, laugh a little, laugh more. That's big. Okay. Laugh more. <laughs> be able to laugh more. And then, yeah. yeah, and then be able to switch it back on for sure.
2: There we go. Uh, so, earlier you alluded to, um, you thought like soccer in Europe. It's it's a different type of work. It's it's a harder grind because there's so many more. Uh, do you think that is similar across all other sports where people are either going overseas or just already playing there in those types of leagues, like from soccer to basketball to whatever? Do you think that's pretty similar across the board, or is just a tougher tougher grind?
3: Yeah, I would for sure. And I think especially in a lot of other sports outside of soccer, I mean there's a handful of Butler guys that have done the overseas move. You know, I think Kellen did it. Um, who else did it with him? There was, we had another forward from Butler who's, I think it's still in Belgium. Um, I think Robert, Robert was. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. And there was a handful though. And yeah. you know, you start to see it as a more popular move for sure. The guys that get, you know, overlooked a little, um, but they come back here. And I think it helps a lot of players because in other sports, like, especially that are bigger in the U S here, they kind of have that, chip on their shoulder mindset like that's where they want to make it back to the states so you have guys that are working almost twice as hard uh you know for their pipe dream of getting to the states and now you're against those guys and you talk to some players of basketball especially and they're like it was way harder to score in europe just in general the actual like the the slap the floor d you're always up against these guys are you know lights out like defending and it's like it's not that passive defense or anything like that so i think yeah, European mentality with sports that are big in the U.S. It's definitely, I think, I think it's good for players to experience just to get if you've lost the fire a little bit. I think that rekindles it one hundred percent. That's what I've heard from more players than not that I've talked to. I think it's that kind of rekindle of like, oh, this is like what it's like to be competitive, like full on again, not being complacent for sure.
1: Well, I, that's it's interesting that you guys talk about that because I feel like one thing I've noticed in the sport of basketball is in Europe, the full time, hundred percent on like training from like age 13 starts there. And like in the United States, you don't really get that like focused training until like you're in college. Maybe like in in America, you're like, you're, you're always busy like on social media, just like hanging out with your friends. I feel like it's all business all the time over in Europe, no matter what sport it is. It's interesting to hear you say about like the Chicago fire I feel like it's more common with soccer than it is basketball here in the United States. I just think that's just a huge difference maker like going full time that early in your life.
3: Yeah, it is crazy to think about because it's almost like a reverse mentality, I guess if you think about it. I mean, you guys would know more than me, but like obviously give me your opinion because I'd like to hear it, but it's like I feel like the work mentality from like your your standard job, like it's drilled into you in the States a lot earlier than it is in Europe, whereas like it's almost like the sporting world in Europe is that full on training. And it's crazy from a young age. Whereas like your training in the US is almost like it's drilled into you from a young age to be like, this is how you work. This is nine to five. This is how you put in the grind at the office. And it's like, you almost have that like backwards mentality of like, it's just 180 from each other. Whereas like Europe, it's like, they're treating sports like that at 13 where maybe not in the States really, like you said, until college. Yeah. But back home, that's why I think like the American work mentality, like for traditional like work, is crazy because like Europeans look at us and they're like you guys work too much like it's too much because they're yeah. like going home you know like you got a siesta in the middle of the day I'm yeah. trying to tell yes. people like in the states that it's meals like meals are like three like hours. hours long yeah
2: well yeah it's, like, it's <laughs> like so I'd love to go to more of Europe I've only been to Italy but me and my dad have talked about it where in Europe like they work to live and Americans live to work and so I've never thought about how from a young age we're trained on how to work. So that's wild to hear you put it that way. Cause it's like, it's so true. Like you're trained to be an employee by nothing but yeah. around you. So it's like when people break out of that mold, I'm like, we're trying to make a, a fuck ton of money on a business built around a podcast.
1: Like, right?
2: you know, cause like that's no, not yeah. normal, but that's like where we need to go. So uh, I would agree that, you know over there they might treat sports the way we treat work almost but it's yeah we, we live to work
3: yeah it's crazy to think about it, it really is and that's where i think it's like just getting a world view of things i mean being in europe sports aside has just opened my eyes to like you know wow we have like a mentality of like what life is supposed to be in the states not that it's right or wrong i mean for some people obviously they crush it but then you find some people that thrive in like a totally different culture and it's like, oh, like, what am I really working for? And like, at the end of the day, am I working to live, or am I living to work? You know, it's like it's it's that balance for sure. It opens your eyes,
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. it's out of I don't, doubt.
2: But you know, I do like what I do. So,
3: hey, Most. I think at the end of the day, Most. if you can at least find that, and you have that outlet where it's like work. Obviously, it's awesome that you're making money, you're doing what you want. But if if you can wake up and you're, you know you find that that thing that gets you going in the morning and you're like, wow, okay, I can, I can wake up and do this my whole life. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you start to find like success soon follows things that you're passionate about. Maybe not immediate and stuff like that. Like look at podcasts, it's crazy. Like talk about a podcast 10 years ago, people would have laughed. They're yeah. like, uh, ha And now look at like the podcast world. It's like you have podcasts that are taking off. They're huge revenue streams and it's it's crazy. I, I mean, I love seeing it. I mean, even from your guys' first episode to now, it's crazy. Just like the fan base, the followers, like I find myself now always watching the same podcast and like how much I get from them. I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It really is.
1: Yeah. I just love the concept of like, you can, you can go out into the podcast realm and find the most brilliant minds in the world and just tune in. Like you're sitting at the same table as them just listening in. It's just a crazy concept and it's such a powerful learning tool. Like you could oh, learn yeah. so much more listening podcasts for a few hours a day than going to any type of class where you learn how to be a good worker. You can actually hear from people who have been through it all, like seen unique circumstances. And that's what we want to yeah. do like podcasts, like talk to people yeah.
3: on it. So Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I mm-hmm. think you had the trailblazers obviously that are it's like anything. The Trailblazers is always kind of the extreme end of the spectrum. You had like the Gary V's, you know, and, the, and the, the Joe Rogan's and stuff like that. And it's cool. But then it's almost cooler to see what follows because once it opens a door for people that are like, wow, this is like a thing and I can make a living doing this and I love it. And then you start to see like the brilliant like content that just comes from people you would have never heard about before just on their platform. Just see platforms grow like that, it's, it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. It's awesome
2: uh tim anything else for for cause
1: uh yeah one more question what advice would you give to uh, a high school or college player who's going through any type of sports and, and and trying to do something with it anything that you've learned uh that you would pass on to them as they're trying to find yeah. their way and find their role in the athletic world Yeah. I mean, I think
3: I'd say the most valuable thing I could pass on is that your journey is never going to be the same to the guy to the right or left of you.
1: Mm. The reality
3: of it, the odds are that it's never going to be identical and you got to be okay with that. You have to know that some people are going to make it earlier than you and some people may never make it that deserve to, but you got to stay true to the process and your process. And as long as you know that you did everything in your power to put it forward, to get you to where you need to be as an individual. Um, I think you'll find the ultimate reward for what you did sports wise. I love that. That's you'll find good. yourself, the chips will land where they need to. Yeah. That's good advice. It's
2: money cause uh, anything else for, uh, for the audience here?
3: No, nah, dude. appreciate you guys having me on. Um, Keep doing what you're doing, man. You guys have an awesome platform. I got a Likewise. lot of buddies now that are starting to tune in. And uh, yeah, dude, just keep grinding. Keep grinding, baby. Appreciate the That's love right.
2: dude. Uh, where can people find you? See your videos and clips, things like that?
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think Instagram right now is probably the most popular. Uh, Instagram is the goat kojelic. Uh, I think we're mutual friends, so go find me on there. But yeah, yeah, I post most of my stuff on Instagram. Um, I'll try and do better. I got a lot of downtime sometimes, so. I'll branch out to YouTube a little bit and stuff like that. But yeah, Instagram for now is mostly where you can find me
2: right on dude. Hey, uh, thanks again, man. Super happy about uh, what you're doing. Happy for you. Proud of you, dude. It's, it's fucking cool to see. You. So keep- appreciate it boys. Yeah. All right. Thanks man. Go thanks be-